What is up? It's your girl Ortizis, and you are now locked in to the Intersection Podcast. Today gonna be a tough one, y'all. I'm I'm pre-warning y'all right now because it's been a long couple days for me. Like I am one of those people who I can put a hat on and take a hat off. Um, but my activism hat, I honestly don't think I can ever take that one off. When I see disenfranchised people, um, being sacrificed at this point, you know, that sounds familiar to me. So I will always use my platforms to spread awareness of important political things that are happening that our community should be aware of. Um, So today I'm going to take the time to talk about this Israel versus Palestine massacre, really, that's going on right now. But the, the way I'm going to present this information to you all is that I'm going to let you listen to a video of how all of this started And then I will catch you up personally to real time because I think it would just it's better for you to get a a full understanding of the foundation from the horse's mouth versus me trying to reiterate almost 100 years of history when there's people who have done this study and, and have condensed that information to things that we need to know, the key points of all of these things. Um, I would just rather use the resources that I have available to me um, to share with you all. So the first thing that you're going to hear is going to be a video, but just the audio of the video, um, about how Palestinians were expelled from their homes in the first place. Now, it is a very, very heavy subject. So if if this not something that you're looking to educate yourself on, this probably isn't the Thursday that you want to listen to the podcast because nothing about what I am going to tell you today is going to make you happy. Nothing that I'm going to tell you about today is going to be anything other than dark information um, that we really need to know because without educating yourselves, history is bound to repeat itself. And sometimes history repeats itself, whether we're knowledgeable of it or not, but more times, um, often than not, it's easier for history to repeat itself when we are not educated on our history. And while the the Palestine um, history may not be a part of American history per se, um, it doesn't matter because the things that are happening to these people can easily, very easily happen to us. And I don't say that ignorantly, knowing that we have one of the strongest militaries um, in the world, but we have the second strongest military in the world. Um, and with that being said, America, American government is really strictly business. So I'll also go into why America supports um, war crimes as well um, by Israel. But 
I'm going to shout out our sponsors really quick. So, by the way, these are just our sponsors. That does not mean that they have the same ideology as myself. Um, But, you know, if you have questions about the views of our sponsors, feel free to ask them. But um, all across the board, we are for the disenfranchised individuals of this country um and of the world honestly and the reason you may be asking yourself why why are we going so hard for palestine right it's because in 2020 when it was us right in the chair in the hot seat going against our government guess guess who was over there holding one of the biggest protests in the middle east it was palestine these people who don't have much, all they know is survival, was out there protesting for black Americans. So with that being said, don't ask me why I care to share the awareness so much and why it has now become a focal point of all of my conversations with people. This is important. And I think that this is information that um, you will find useful. But shout out to our sponsors, Copyright Magazine, and shout out to our sponsor, Teaswax Candle Company. And with that being said, I'm going to let you guys hear the beginning of this craziness. So this is how the Palestinians were expelled from their homes. And this is... um, going to be narrated by Vox. My village is a very beautiful one. It has a mountain full of trees, of figs and grapes, and it faces the main road to Jerusalem. This is a story about what happened here in 1948. We are only 750 people, and everybody knows each other. I came from a big family. We lived a good life. We never expected to be massacred. It was a black spot in the history. That history has been carefully concealed, purposefully distorted, and in the West, largely forgotten. They put our village as an example of what they can do. The massacre in this village was one of many in a series of catastrophic events that became known as the Nakba, when hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were violently displaced from their homeland in order to create the State of Israel. In May of 1948, a new Jewish state, Israel, was born in a bath of blood. The borders of Palestine have been changed forcefully over time. But historically, this region has been home to Palestinians for centuries, with hundreds of villages and thriving cities. One of them being the central city of Jerusalem, with holy sites important to Jewish, Christian, and Muslim people. By the late Ottoman Empire, Palestinians living here were overwhelmingly Muslim, with minority Christian and Jewish native populations too. But regardless of religion, Palestinians were often referred to as Arabs, people of the Arabic-speaking world, despite their distinctive culture. Palestinians have long distinguished themselves as Ahl Palestine, or the people of Palestine. They developed a distinctive Arabic accent, they developed regional food, regional dress, and family ties. 
But by the time World War I began, several key political forces were competing for control of these lands. First, there was a growing Arab political movement, looking for independence from the Ottoman Empire in hopes of a unified Arab state that would include Palestine. Then there were Zionists, a political group that had one main goal, the creation of a Jewish state. Zionism was a response to an increasingly brutal climate for Jewish people, particularly in Europe and Russia, where there was a massive wave of anti-Semitism, including large-scale attacks in the late 1800s and early 1900s. After briefly considering other areas for a new state, including Uganda and Argentina, Zionist leaders decided on Palestine because of its connection to early religious history. But there was a third key group with political interests here, the British. Control of the region would allow them to expand their spheres of influence and protect trade routes to India. During World War I, since both the British and the Arab independence movement wanted Palestine, they decided to go after the Ottomans together with an important pledge. Through a series of letters in 1916, an Arab leader and a British official agreed that if Arabs would help the British fight the Ottomans and give the British economic and other foreign privileges in Arab lands, in return, the British would recognize and support an independent Arab state. Soon, the Arabs started doing their part in revolting against the Ottomans, making it easier for the British to move in. But the next year, the British issued a new declaration and betrayed the Arabs. In 1917, Lord Allenby conquered the Holy Land, and the Jews were promised a national home in Palestine. Without consulting the native Palestinian population, the British issued what's known as the Balfour Declaration, supporting the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. So instead of supporting the idea of Palestine as part of a unified and independent Arab state, the British pledged to help secure this land for Zionists. It was a strategic move. This declaration opened up a pathway for Britain to gain power in Palestine. Under the guise that it was supporting the self-determination of another people, of a people in Palestine who don't reside there yet. As for Palestine's majority Arab population, the declaration referred to them as non-Jewish communities who would be given civil and religious rights, but not political rights. A few years later, after World War I ended, Britain gained control of Palestine through a mandate that also required them to put the Balfour Plans for Jewish settlement in motion. And they did. Between 1922 and 1931, the Jewish population more than doubled. The migration helped the Zionist movement gain steam, and a slogan took off. A land without people for a people without land. And it sends a message to Western leaders that the people who had been living in Palestine for generations could just be easily moved elsewhere. The idea was that those inhabitants weren't a people with ties to that land. Palestine was, of course, a land with a people. In 1931, there were more than 850,000 Palestinian Arabs in the region, still the vast majority. But with the rise of Hitler and the Nazi party in particular, hate became a rallying call. Jewish flight from Europe became even more urgent, and Palestine started to see the biggest wave of Jewish immigration yet. Violence broke out, rooted in tensions over land. Jewish settlers purchased swaths of fertile land and evicted tenant farmers, creating a crisis of hundreds of thousands of landless, dispossessed Palestinian Arabs. Though Palestinians fiercely rebelled against both British colonial forces and Jewish settlers, they were brutally crushed by the British. They put in Palestine more troops to repress that rebellion than they had stationed in India at that time. 
all of India. These troops killed thousands of Palestinians, including many of their leaders, and the British began training and arming Zionist militias to suppress the rebellion, too. But the rebellion continued. So, in an attempt to prevent further Palestinian resistance, the British began to limit Jewish immigration into Palestine. This ended up angering Zionist extremists, leading to more violence. So, in 1947, after decades of trying to manipulate both Palestinian Arabs and Zionists to keep their control over Palestine, Britain gave up and handed the question of Palestine to someone else. To the United Nations also came the problem of Palestine. In recent years, this small country had been the scene of disorder and bloodshed. They figured there is this new thing called the United Nations. Here, in your lap, Palestine, first gift. So the United Nations has now to figure out how do you disentangle this thing that the British helped create. A UN special committee proposed the land be divided into two states, a Jewish state and an Arab state, with Jerusalem as a separate UN-controlled entity. It was called the Partition Plan of 1947. The plan shocked Palestinians. We could not accept the partition plan because at that time, the population were almost two to one. But the plan proposed giving over half the land and often the most fertile areas to the Jewish state. From a purely pragmatic perspective, the partition plan didn't make much sense for Palestinian Arabs. That wasn't the only problem with the plan. Within this proposed area of the Jewish state were hundreds of thousands of Palestinian Arabs, including both Muslims and Christians, who had lived there for generations. On a moral level, the idea of making hundreds of thousands of Palestinian Arabs minorities in their own homeland seemed unjust and unfair. In November 1947, the UN put the plan to a vote. In the aftermath of the Holocaust, and after lobbying from US leaders and Zionists, the UN voted in favor of partition. And finally, a momentous decision to partition the Holy Land's 10,000 square miles. Britain announced their mandate over Palestine would end on May 15, 1948, even as Palestinians continued to reject the UN's decision to partition the land. After the partition took place, you know, in 1947, you know, we really were scared that something might happen to us. By the end of 1947, Zionists had several well-developed paramilitary forces, the largest one known as the Haganah, and more extremist militias like Irgun. On March 10th, a couple of months before the British mandate would end, the Haganah adopted what was called Plan Dalit, or Plan D. On paper, the main goal was to gain control of the Jewish state, as laid out in the partition plan while also defending Jewish settlements outside of the borders. In reality, that's where the majority of these operations took place, outside of the UN's proposed Jewish state, some carried out by Haganah and others by more radical militias. Many of these operations focused on isolating Jerusalem and the roads to it. A set of brutal instructions called for the destruction of Arab villages by setting fire to, blowing up, and planting mines, especially those population centers which were difficult to control. In case of resistance, it called for the population to be expelled outside of the borders of the state, villages emptied, and for the occupation and control of Arab villages along main transportation arteries. One of the most widely publicized village massacres happened here in Deir Yassin. We lived in Deir Yassin, which is about four miles west of Jerusalem. 91-year-old Dawood Assad was there the day of the massacre and was 18 at the time. We saw all night, that night, the night before, the movement of lights. 
armored trucks moving around, moving, moving like this. So we know that something is wrong. That's why we knew that something is going to happen to our village. On April 9th, 1948, extremist Zionist forces, executing Plan D, closed in on Dar Yassin, even though the village had made a local peace pact with neighboring Jewish settlements. Friday morning, they attacked us. My uncles, they were shooting at them, and I was there loading the gun for them and shooting. We fought about almost two and a half hours. They found my uncle, and they put him on the wall, and they shot him eight bullets in cold blood. My grandmother, she went in the village to see my mother. On her way, she got shot. My brother Omar fell from her shoulder to the floor, but the floor was a concrete one. Dawood escaped through a trench. I went down all the way down here like this. So it was four hours walking to Jerusalem. To this day, the archive of the Israeli army refuses to release many of the images and intelligence reports on Dar Yassin. But one UN report detailed circumstances of great savagery, including women and children stripped, lined up, photographed, and slaughtered. Roughly 100 people, largely children and the elderly, were killed in the village. As for Dawood, he later reunited with the group of Dar Yassin captives in Jerusalem, including his sister and mother. My mother says, where is your uncle Radwan? He says, he was shot. Where is your grandmother? He said, he was shot and Omar was with her. So everybody has a commotion, you know. Where is Fatma? Where is Ibrahim? Where is Amariam? Where is David? Where is Ahmed? Where is Ismail? I dream, I'm a dream about it, you know. News of what happened in Dar Yassin spread quickly, with far-reaching effects. The Zionist militias used it as a propaganda tool to tell people about it everywhere. The idea was that if you don't leave, we will do to you what happened in Dar Yassin. Stories came out about women being raped, about babies being killed, and induced a great deal of fear among the Palestinian Arab population, many of them fleeing as a result. Jewish troops routed Arab forces from the city of Haifa. After taking Dar Yassin, Zionist paramilitary groups cleared major cities, including Haifa and Jaffa, and took hundreds of smaller villages and towns, too. Hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were forced to flee, pouring into neighboring states as refugees. Plan D became the blueprint for carrying out the ethnic cleansing of historic Palestine to make room for a new state. And on May 14th, the day before the British mandate ended, Zionists declared this state as Israel. But the creation of Israel didn't end the Nakba. Neighboring Arab countries that were overwhelmed by Palestinian refugees immediately went to war with Israel. Now united in a League of Arab States, they are insistent that the entry of refugees into Palestine must be ended. The fighting lasted for months. Arab armies eventually lost while Palestinians continued to be killed and forced out throughout that time. Palestinians who fled often carried only enough to stay away for a few weeks, hoping they'd eventually return home. A lot of them locked their doors, put their key in their pocket, and then moved to safer ground. When you leave the house and you take your key with you, it's because you're planning to go home. 
In the case of the Palestinians, those refugees weren't allowed to return. Refugees trying to return were often shot at. Zionist paramilitary operations also tried to prevent them from returning again by destroying the villages. That act of preventing their return compounded the Nakba. So the Nakba is both the forcible displacement of Palestinians from their homes and lands and country, as well as preventing them to return once the fighting was over. Palestinian society was dismembered, crushed. More than half of the Palestinian people became refugees, stateless, dispossessed of their land. Over time, the state of Israel covered up the physical evidence of an Arab Palestine. Place names were often changed from Arabic ones to Hebrew ones. The Jewish National Fund embarked on a massive effort to plant thousands of acres of pine forests and recreational areas on top of hundreds of ruined Palestinian villages. Even though these forests have now grown into big pine trees, Palestinians have not forgotten their homelands. While we know that roughly 6,000 Israelis lost their lives in the violence of the Nakba, records for Palestinian deaths weren't kept. It's estimated to be around 15,000. By the end of the Nakba, roughly 750,000 Palestinians had been forcefully expelled, and more than 500 villages destroyed. Though the UN's partition plan allotted Israel 56% of the land, through the Nakba, Israel captured 78% of the land. It was everything except what's now known as the occupied West Bank and Gaza Strip. Today, that's up to at least 85% of the total area, turning 6 million Palestinians into refugees without a homeland. It's why, around the same time that Israelis are celebrating Independence Day, Palestinians are out protesting on May 15th, holding up keys as a symbol of the homes they lost and the hope to return. For them, the Nakba isn't just a moment in history. It's a catastrophe that never really ended. A dream, I'm a dream about it, you know? We lived a good life till 1948 when we were displaced. All right, I'm gonna try to back up just a little bit to give more detail about some stuff that they didn't touch in the video. So, in 1967, during the Six-Day War, um, West Bank and Gaza were taken by the Israeli military, marking the start of the Israeli occupation. So, fast forward now. We're going to jump around a little bit. We're going to fast forward to the 90s, specifically 1993. That's when they start started to see the start of a peace process, which may have brought that occupation to an end, but that peace treaty was stalled. Um, I don't know if peace treaty, if I'm overstepping by saying peace treaty, but it was a peace process. They started to basically get everybody on the same page, but it was stalled. Now let's jump to today. <laughs> so today, Palestinians in the West Bank have autonomy in big cities and in towns, but they're surrounded by Jewish settlements. And they're also cut off by Israel's security barrier. So West Bank is enclosed, basically, but it's not, it doesn't have super, 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 super open air prison vibes like Gaza does. That's basically what they're explaining. While the two million people 
that are living in Gaza remain effectively locked away, Israel withdrew from Gaza in 2005. Just because they withdrew do not mean that they don't still control the imports, outports, military presence, um, the control of electricity, the, the control of food, the, the control of water. Israel still controls all of that for both for both um, sites, both cities. So in 2005, that's, that's when they withdrew from Gaza. In 2007, Hamas, which is this terrorist group, well, I, I shouldn't, depending on how you look at the situation, Certain countries define them as a terrorist group, including the United States. Other countries um, they have allyship with. But basically, Hamas is a group of, uh, it's an Islamic militant group um, whose motto is basically kill all the Jews and destroy Israel at all costs while freeing the uh, Palestinians. Now... That is very extreme, right? I understand that is very, 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 very extreme. That is not what the Palestinians are for. They don't want to kill the Jews. They just want to be free. The Hamas is the, an extreme group of people who, who are just like, we just going to do whatever it takes to give them a piece of what they've been giving us. So, in 2007, once um, Israel withdrew, they took full control over Gaza. And since Gaza has continued to be a scene of catastrophic assaults and battles with Israel since 2008, which was a year after um, Hamas basically took over their um, government, but it's not really a government because um, Israel is like the be all say all of their everything so yeah so now I'm going to read an excerpt from ABC News um just to give you some of the key developments so I'm not running over my words because my brain is moving so fast so ABC News says more than a week after Hamas terrorists rained thousands of rockets down on Israel and infiltrated the country by air, sea, and land in an unprecedented attack, a surprise attack, the region stands on the brink of war, with fears of a wider conflict and thousands dead on both sides of the Israel-Gaza border. The conflict was touched off by the October 7th sneak attack, which included thousands of armed Hamas so soldiers breaching a border security fence and indiscriminately gunning down Israeli civ civilians and soldiers taken off guard. Other militants stormed beaches in Israel in motorboats, and some brought death by sky, swooping in on paragliders. More than 1,400 people have been killed in Israel, including children, and another 3,400 people have been injured. Israeli officials said, Roughly 200 to 250 hostages were taken by Hamas, and it was believed that they are being held in Gaza. At least 3,000 people have been killed in Gaza, and about 12 
5,500 people have been injured, according to the Palestinian Health Authority. Israel has responded with a barrage of airstrikes that have now disseminated the Gaza Strip, leaving more than 300,000 residents displaced. Israel has warned more than 1 million Palestinians to move to a safer part of the territory in southern Gaza or potentially face the raft of 400,000 Israeli soldiers prepped to annihilate Hamas militant units. Many believe to be hiding in miles-long network of tunnels under residential neighborhoods. And many fear those trapped in Gaza, including the estimated 400 Americans, are on the cusp of a humanitarian disaster with no electricity or running water in a food supply that is dwindling by the hour. So that's the only little part that I'm going to take from ABC News. I want to also read an expert from CNN. If that ain't tugging at your heartstrings yet, I honestly, I honestly don't know what to tell you. I honestly don't know what to tell you. And while I don't support terrorism at all, the expectation for this, I don't want to say small militia because it's clearly a large group of people. If they are um, invading land right but the israeli government is funded by the united states we just sent them three billion dollars in military aid um hamas has no no uh budget (laughs) hamas is not backed by any type of aid they don't have any money all of the stuff that they have been given has some i'm what I was reading basically is some of the weapons and stuff have been supplied by Iran. Um, and Iran is one of their allies. But that still does not compare to a $3 billion budget um, with the United States. And unfortunately, the United States is going to continue to back Israel because we have business relationships with them that we cannot afford to go sour. All the oil and shit, yeah, that's that's over there. All the trade area, yeah, that's also over there. So Biden for sure got the egg on his face because he a damn idiot, but it's all business. It's, It's not about innocent civilians. It's not about humans. It's not about humanity. It is about a dollar. That's what it all boils down to. It is about a dollar. This country runs, not on Duncan, it runs on money, okay? So if you had trouble understanding or trying to get a grasp on what's going on between the uh, Palestinians, I feel like I'm saying that wrong, but them in Israel, this is this is the synopsis of it, and I hope that even if you're still a little bit confused, this has planted the seed in your head to go do your own research and to make sure that you are on the right side of history. Um, it's, it's really terrible when anybody loses their life, especially especially the innocent Israeli citizens um, that were 
blindsided and attacked by Hamas. Um, that is not okay. And I think that an eye for an eye only works so much. And I completely get why there will be a retaliation, but it's, it's honestly gone too far. And it honestly is all because of Israel. Like, <laughs> like if you just give them their land back, their their land that they they were there way before you were you took their land you bullied them out of their homes and then decide to kill them like that is that is just crazy to me and the thing that bothers me most is people always have this question of how was hitler able to get so far with the holocaust i think you can answer that question now why? Why? Silence is why. People not stepping in is why. People letting this type of shit go on is why. Literally. So, I, I, I just honestly, anytime I see any videos of Gaza or anything like it just honestly brings me to tears because these are these are kids these are babies none of these bullets have names on them none of these exploding buildings have names on them they killing everybody and if and if you can stomach to see the actual footage of what what's going on over there I really encourage you to suck it up and go look because having a trigger warning on something like human genocide, I don't think it's appropriate right now. I think we need to take the veil off of our eyes and see what is happening to humans at the end of the day. Humans. Entire family lineages gone. From the great-grandma to the newborn baby, gone. No funerals. You can't identify the dead. Half their faces blown off. You don't even know where your family even is. You don't know if they escape because because the exes keep getting bombed. They just they bombing all of the refugee spots. They bombing hospitals, killing five hundred people to thousands at a time. And now they're saying that Hamas did they own attack on the hospital like let's be so for real Hamas has showed y'all them baby ass rockets they've been using like I shouldn't say baby ass rockets because they still kill people but like compared to a damn uh bomb that's gonna blow up an entire hospital crazy it's crazy but do what you will with this information um I'm I'm going to say free Palestine until it's free Palestine. Like, free them until they are free. Do I shun Hamas? Absolutely. But you always have to ask the question of why somebody's doing something. Why are they doing that? What caused that reaction? Where is that coming from? Where is that stemming from? And then when you get to the root of that, I think that you will have 
the answers that you're looking for. I completely condemn Hamas. I don't want nobody to be confused about that. That is not okay to kill innocent civilians at any capacity, anybody, period. As a member of the black community, we see this every day in our neighborhoods. Innocent civilians being killed by police. We see it every day. So I would never, ever rally behind anybody who is with killing innocent people. I would never do that. But what I will always encourage is y'all to do your own research and be present when history is happening before our eyes. You are the grandparents right now that's going to have to retell this story. Where were you when the world was changing? Honestly, I, I really feel like it's going to be a World War III soon. I honestly do, because if America is still back in Israel and everybody's like, yo, Israel, fuck you, and America's just like, oh, well, well, we're just going to, we're just going to sit here, da, 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 like, no, if China and Russia is saying, hey, bro, like, you need to chill out, and you, in Israel, like, no, nah, ain't no chill, and America, like, yeah, I'm, I'm with them, y'all don't think that's going to turn into, okay. What I will encourage y'all to do again is to educate yourselves. I don't have a call to action. The calls to action that I've been seeing is boycott Starbucks and McDonald's and Disney because they're funding Israel. They're they're also sending money to Israel for this uh, funding of the war. So do what you will with that information. And I hope that this is just the the tipping point of your curiosity. And I hope that you choose to be on the right side of history. And with that being said, this is Ortiz's and you are listening to the Intersection Podcast. All right, this is the excerpt from CNN. Now, the headline for this article is, they followed evacuation orders and Israeli airstrike killed them the next day. So you basically know what I'm about to tell you. Long story short, I'm, I'm going to read the article, but long story short, Israel told these people their safe haven, here's where you need to go, this is a safe route for you to evacuate, and then they bombed the safety route that they just told these innocent civilians was a safe route to safe haven. Crazy crazy but anyway when palestinians in north gaza heeded the warnings issued in the israeli military phone calls text messages and flyers advertising them to head south they thought they were fleeing to potential safety the israeli defense forces issued the guidance friday telling all civilians in north gaza to evacuate to areas south of wadi gaza quote for your own safety and for the safety of your family, unquote, as the IDF continues, quote, to make to operate significantly in Gaza City and make extensive efforts to avoid harming civilians, unquote. However, some Palestinians who followed the evacuation warnings and fled their homes in search of safety suffered the very fate they were running from. Israeli airstrikes killed them outside of the evacuation zone. The killings underscore the reality that evacuation zones and warning alerts from the Israeli military haven't guaranteed safety 
for civilians in the densely populated Gaza Strip where Palestinians have no safe place to escape Israeli bombs. If you are not clear, this is not an in the article, but if you are not clear that they are on, on they are in one of the largest concentration camps in the world right now. I really hope this is clicking for y'all. They are being bombed and they cannot leave. Period. They are literally an entire, they're, they're pretty much the size of Rhode Island. Like probably bigger than Rhode Island. There's 2 million people here. And they're trying to evacuate a space and they cannot. They're not allowed to leave. They're not allowed to get food. No clean water, no electricity, and just keep getting bombed. In the early hours on Friday, I really can't pronounce this name. Sorry, I'm not um, Arabic. I, don't, I mean, I can't read Arabic. In the early hours on Friday, Aid al-Ajamrami and his nephew Raji received a phone call from an Is Israeli military official warning him to get everyone he knows and head southwards immediately. And the nephew told... The nephew told CNN, despite following the instructions and successfully fleeing south of the evacuation zone, Ayid's family was killed by an Israeli airstrike the next day. An audio recording of the phone call obtained by CNN reveals the details of the brief conversation, which included the IDF's instructions to flee south of the evacuation zone and no guidance on how to get there. Raji said once they realized who was calling, they recorded the conversation so they could share it with other family members. Quote, all you, all of you go to the south. You and all your family members gather all of your stuff with you and head there, the officer told them. Aid wanted to know what road would be safe to take and what time they should leave. It doesn't matter which road, the officer replied. Do it as fast as you can. There's no time left. Aid headed, heeded the warning. By sunrise on Friday, he headed south with his family and relatives to stay with friends in Deir al Bala, a city roughly eight miles south of Wadi Gaza and outside of the evacuation zone. The next day, an Israeli airstrike in the area destroyed parts of the building where Aid's family sought refuge, killing him and 12 other members of his family, including seven children. His nephew, Raji, 32, was staying in a different building nearby when he heard the explosion and feared the worst. He rushed to the scene after receiving a call telling him that his uncle's family members were amongst the victims. The destruction is massive, Raji said. We started digging people out who were hit by the explosion. Some of them were still alive. The gunpowder smell was very strong and the dust was everywhere. These people all thought that they were finally safe and nothing would happen in the area, Raji said. You can follow the orders so that you aren't exposed to danger, but the danger will still reach you wherever you are. In response to CNN's query about the airstrikes in Deir al-Bala and the other areas outside of the evacuation zone, an IDF statement said it's, quote, operating to dismantle Hamas military and administrative capabilities, unquote. While an estimated 500,000 Palestinians have fled northern Gaza for the south since Friday, many others are unable to make the journey south of the evacuation zone and are stuck in northern Gaza. Yara Ahaik, 22, 
told CNN that her family living in the North had nowhere to seek refuge when they headed South. Quote, we couldn't leave because there was no safe place to go to. It's really dangerous if we leave our house. It's really dangerous if we stay in our house. So we have no idea what to do, unquote. Israel has defended its ongoing hammering of Gaza with airstrikes as targeting Hamas headquarters and assets, which are hidden within civilian buildings, claiming that what may actually appear as a civilian building is actually a legitimate military target. Independent UN experts have condemned Israel's, quote, indiscriminate attacks against Palestinian Civilians, unquote, Doctors Without Borders released an update Sunday night saying that the strikes have also hit hospitals and ambulances and decried that the, quote, indiscriminate bombing campaign in which most casualties have been civilians, unquote, like they're just killing civilians. Israel's military airstrikes have killed more than 2,800 people and injured 11,000 since October 7th. Palestinian Prime Minister Mohammed said Monday, according to the official Palestinian press agency, WAFA. Israeli troops and military equipment have massed at the border with Gaza as Israel prepares to ramp up its response to the deadly October 7th attack by the Islamist military tent group Hamas. Warplanes continued to blast Gaza over the weekend as civilians fled southwards following Israel's evacuation instructions. Several United Nations agencies have also warned that mass evacuation under such siege conditions will lead to disaster and that most vulnerable Gazans, including the elderly and pregnant, may not be able to relocate at all. Quote, the order to evacuate 1.1 million people from northern Gaza defies the rules of war and basic humanity, wrote Martin Griff Griffiths, <laughs> head of the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs in a statement last Friday. Quote, roads and homes have been reduced to rubble. There is nowhere safe to go. Raji, who was taken in wounded children that survived the attack says he has to put on a strong face to support them despite being broken internally. Quote, I feel the injustice. These are innocent people. What did they do? Unquote. 